As Mark mentioned, we're studying the book of John on Sunday nights, and if you have a copy of God's Word, look with us to our passage found in the book of John, chapter 12. The book of John, chapter 12, and we'll begin reading with verse 12. As I said last week, John has spent the first 11 chapters talking about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. And now in John chapter 12, through the rest of the book, he's going to look at the last seven days. We're going to see Jesus, seeing him as he is preparing to go to the cross, seeing Jesus at the cross, and seeing Jesus after the cross. And so he is laying the foundation as we're looking at the story. We've already seen how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and that was the miracle that they couldn't stand because they couldn't explain that miracle away. We saw how the leaders decided to kill Jesus. They basically sent out word, if you know where Jesus is, let us know because we want to kill him. We want to take him. As Mark said last week, we saw Jesus going into Bethany, and there they had a party for him because of what he did for Lazarus. And while he was there, we saw that picture of Mary anointing his feet. And again, the leaders do not want Jesus around. They want to kill him. We saw that in verse 9 through 11. They are trying to kill Jesus. In fact, some of them wanted to kill Lazarus. And with that in mind, look at verse 12 of chapter 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed be he, is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, If you're not daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. And so the people who were there with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him about the dead continued to testify about him. And for this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are, not to, you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, in these few verses, we see a picture of our Lord Jesus and help us to see it today, Father. Father, that we will understand who he is and why he came. And help us, Father, that we will understand the message from these texts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The longest parade in the world is not Macy's. Most people think it is. It's not. It's Hanover Schulzenfest in Germany. More than 10 thousand participants from Germany all around the world. They have over 5,000 marks, more than 100 bands, over 60 wagons and carriages and big festival vehicles. That's the longest. Now, the largest is Macy's. 
Macy's Thanksgiving Parade is still the largest in the world today. Now, they only have about 6,500 participants, but more than two and a half million people line the streets to see the parade. That's not including those who watch it on television. Two and a half million people watching that parade. It's known as the largest parade in the world. You know, many people love parades. Now, some people don't, but many people do. Uh, when we lived in New Orleans and during Mardi Gras, they actually do have family-friendly parades. I know that's hard to believe when you watch on the news. There are areas that they're family-friendly, and so people go and take their children. It's very safe for the children, and you can just see the, the excitement the, the all around in the air, the anticipation of what might come, what celebrity might be on the float. There is that build-up of a parade in our text we find another parade. It's a very small parade, but it's a very important one. It is the parade of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. We call it the triumphant entry. It happened on Palm Sunday. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Now remember, his life is in danger. They want to kill him. And he's coming into Jerusalem. There's an expression, some of you may have heard, don't rain on my parade. Happens when you're celebrating good news and someone has to say something that will ruin your happiness. There's always a Debbie Downer somewhere out there. You know, you win a million dollars, they'll talk about all the income tax you got to pay. I mean, it's just people are like that. On this Palm Sunday, Jesus rained on their parade, but a different kind of rain. It's R-E-I-G-N-E-D. He is the king, the reigning king coming in to Jerusalem. In verse 9 through 11, it reminded us that Jesus really orchestrated this. It reminded us that Jesus knew what was going on. He knew exactly what was happening. And now he is coming into Jerusalem in public so everyone can see him. We see in these few verses, there are really two crowds merging into one, like two rivers converging. The crowd that has seen Jesus, who raised Lazarus from the dead, and then there's another crowd who heard about Jesus, and they're coming to meet him. And you have these two crowds coming together as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. And it says, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him. Here is Jesus. He's coming into Jerusalem. Now, we've said it many times before, but at this time, this is the Passover time. And people from all over came to Jerusalem to celebrate. Now, the population of Jerusalem normally was about fifty to 60,000 people. But at the time of the Passover, people from all over came. In fact, the Jewish Roman historian Josephus wrote this. He says, Cestius, the Roman governor of Palestine, attempted to impress Emperor Nero that the Passover was an important feast for the Jews. And to do that, he ordered the high priest to count the actual number of lambs that were sacrificed the Passover in that year, year 65 A.D. He quoted the high priest as giving him a figure of 256,500 lambs that were offered as a sacrifice. If you understand that that's a lamb for every family, we're talking about between 1.5 to 3 million people in Jerusalem. The place is a buzz, and here comes Jesus, and they're running out, and they're crying out, you are the king. Tonight, I want us to look at this passage. I want you to notice some things about the parade. 
First of all, I want you to notice the shallow praise at the parade. The shallow praise at the parade. Again, we call this the triumphant entry. This is one of the prophecies, by the way, of the Messiah. All through the Old Testament, God gave to us signs, gave to us prophecy so that we would know who the Messiah is. For example, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he would come from Bethlehem. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, he would come while the temple was still standing. In the book of Isaiah chapter 35, he says he would perform miracles. In Psalm 78, it said the Messiah would speak in parables. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, he said a man in the wilderness would announce him. In Psalms chapter 41, verse 9, it says he would be portrayed by a friend. The book of Zechariah, it said that he would be portrayed for 30 pieces of silver. We'll talk more about that later. Psalm chapter 22, David said that the Messiah would die on a crucifix in graphic detail. By the way, 100 years before the crucifixion was even invented. Isaiah chapter 53, it said he would be crucified between two thieves. Psalm chapter 34, it said his bones would not be broken. Psalm 22, it said they would gamble for his clothing. Isaiah 53 said he would be buried with the rich. Psalm 16 said he would prophesy that he would raise from the dead. Psalm 68 said he will ascend into heaven. Many, many, many prophecies about the Messiah. And in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem riding on this donkey because it was prophesied. If he had not done this, he would not have been the Messiah. Jesus intentionally took this role, riding this donkey into Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. Now, there's another reason he was riding this donkey into Jerusalem. In this time period, when there was a king coming to your town, if he came in peace, he would ride a donkey. If he came on a horse, he came to conquer you. Whenever they saw the king coming, if he was on the donkey, surrounded by everyone else, oh, he's coming in peace. But if he came riding a horse, he was coming as a conqueror. Here is Jesus coming into Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace. He's coming into Jerusalem because he wants them to know, I am here to bring you peace. So verse 13, they said they took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him. Why would you do that? I mean, why would you take palm leaves and, and go out there and wave them? Well, again, that time period, when you had a military leader coming into your city after a victory, you would greet him with palm branches. So Jesus coming into Jerusalem with them having palm branches, what they're saying is you've had a great victory. This is a victory for Jesus. They are celebrating Jesus' victory. You have hundreds or maybe even thousands of people saying, Hosanna, which by the way means save us, rescue us, and blessed be the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Here's what they're doing. They have these palm leaves. 
And they're waving as Jesus is coming into the city. And they're saying, save us, king of Israel. Save us. Now, they are not talking about spiritually saving them. They still don't get it. They still think Jesus is going to be a political messiah. They think Jesus is going to come and rescue them from the Romans. And I've said this before. If you go back and look at all the miracles of Jesus, the people saw that through the eyes of a military leader. So feeding 5,000, that means he could take an army anywhere and you didn't have to take supplies. He could feed them. Walking on water, we don't need a navy. We can just walk. Healing people, if you got sick on the journey, he could heal you. And now raising Lazarus from the dead, if you died in battle, Jesus would raise you. They're seeing this through the eyes of this is a military leader coming to rescue us. And they're crying out, Hosanna, rescue us, king of Israel. They were looking for a political and a civil salvation. But Jesus was bringing something spiritual. There's a quote there. Verse 15. That's from the book of Psalms, chapter 118. It's a song. They sing it at Passover. Psalm 118, and Psalm 118 goes on to say, The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice and tie him to the horns of the altar. Now, if you go back and read Psalm 118, here's what it's saying. Remember, this, that was the Passover psalm, uh, Passover song. Right before they left Egypt, they would sing that song. In other words, they're singing about their freedom. And the psalm says, when you see that freedom is coming, Grab the sacrificial lamb and kill him. Jesus is coming in to Jerusalem. They are quoting that psalm. They don't realize that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. They are making this prophecy. We need to fulfill what God told us to do. Get ready. Salvation is coming. We need to kill the sacrificial lamb. They're thinking about the Passover, but instead they're looking at the sacrificial lamb. His name is Jesus. They believed Jesus was coming to rescue them from the Romans. Now, you have to understand the history of this. 200 years earlier, a man named, by the name of Judas Maccabeus. By the way, his nickname was The Hammer. I, I just love nicknames from the ancient world. It's like a professional wrestler. He was The Hammer. He led the Jews to defeat the Greeks who had placed idols in the temple. And he had this revolution. He drove the Greeks out. When he came into Jerusalem, he was riding a stallion. And the people lined the street, and they said to Judas Maccabeus, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they cleansed the temple. They reconstructed the temple. They celebrated. That's where they get the, the, the Hanukkah celebration. They believed that Judas Maccabeus was the Messiah. Problem was, three years later, he died, and he stayed dead. So here's Jesus. He's entering into Jerusalem. They're looking for another military leader. They're saying, oh, this must be the hammer. Jesus rides into a donkey, riding on a donkey. He's not the hammer. He's the redeemer. He's going to radically revolutionize everyone by his death, but they don't see it yet. And Jesus knew the crowd didn't get it because as they are crying out, crown him, Within seven days, they're going to be yelling, crucify him. Instead of saying, hail him, they're going to say, nail him. 
Within seven days of what we just read, Christ is going to be portrayed, beaten, crucified, buried, bearing the sins of the world on that cross. Within seven days, the earth is going to shake. The sun will be temporarily darkened. The veil of the temple is going to be torn in two. Within seven days, at this passage, the women are going to go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, only to find an empty grave, a broken seal, a rolled stone, and an angelic messenger saying, why do you seek the living among the dead? In seven days, all of this is going to happen. The passage we just read, they are praising Jesus, but their praise is empty. Their praise is shallow. They're on that parade route. They're not really worshiping Jesus at all. They're just shouting empty words. They're looking for someone to take care of their physical needs. They didn't care about their spiritual needs. They were not sincere about saying Hosanna. Jesus talked about this empty worship in Matthew chapter 15. He says, hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrine, human commands. Imagine all these people quoting the Bible, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. But they don't mean it. Have you ever done that? You ever been singing a song, a praise, but your mind was on something else? That is called empty praise. Have you ever been in prayer? And while you're praying, you realize your mind is on something else. Your mind is not on the Lord God Almighty. That is empty praise. We need to be careful that we are not guilty of the same shallow, empty worship that these people were doing. Because as Jesus told the woman at the well, worship must be in spirit and truth. Second of all, I want you to notice the passionate tears at the parade. The passionate tears at the parade. When Jesus is entering into the city, this was a tearful entry. Yes, there were cheers, but there were tears. John doesn't mention this. We have to go to the book of Luke to see it. Let me read to you what Luke writes in the book of Luke chapter 19. As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the day will come on when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst, because you do not recognize the time when God visited you. Luke says that as Jesus is entering into the city, he is crying because he's remembering what has taken place. So in the midst of all the shouts and all the songs of praise, there is Jesus sobbing in grief. When Jesus wept in the book of John chapter 11 at, at the tomb of, uh, of Lazarus, remember I, I said that word was a, 
meant, no, silent tears, silent crying. The word that Luke uses is a strong word. It means to wail and to weep. Jesus' heart is broken as he is entering into Jerusalem because he recognized that they do not recognize that he is really the king. They said he was the king, but they didn't recognize it. And the irony is that the prophecy in the Old Testament would have told them. One of the most amazing prophecies of the Old Testament is found in the book of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel predicted from the day when Cyrus gave the order for the Jews to rebuild Jerusalem, 483 years would pass, then the Messiah would enter into Jerusalem. Do you realize when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, that is the prophecy? It was 483 years. He was fulfilling the prophecy, and they still didn't get it. Here is Jesus. There is tears at this parade because he's looking at these people who are refusing to recognize him as Lord, and they're going to face judgment. Jesus is crying for what is coming to them. And he warned them there's going to come a day that someone is going to come to Jerusalem. And we know that this is historical fact because in 70 AD, the Romans did come. And they did surround Jerusalem. And they did enter into Jerusalem. And they did, did destroy the temple, literally overturning every stone, setting them on fire, trying to melt out the gold. And all this took place because Israel rejected the Messiah. And Jesus is crying because they do not recognize he is the king. And today, there are people around us, they have never recognized Jesus is the king. And we should be crying for them. There are people that are going to be eternally separated from God in a place called hell because they refuse to recognize who Jesus is. And the prince of peace wept over a city because they did not recognize him as God. And this wasn't the first time this had happened. Again, the book of Luke, chapter 13, verse 14, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gather her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Jesus said, I wish I could gather you like a mother hen to protect you from the judgment that's coming. They say a mother hen is very protective. A mother hen will recognize or sense the chicken hawk and squawk for the chicks to come settle under her wings. I read about a Canadian farmer who raised chickens and tells a story about a mother hen. He said his chicken coop caught on fire. He extinguished the fire for too much damage. Most of the chickens had escaped, but one mother hen was dead. But under the hen's feathers, Scorched from the smoke and the fire under the wings. He lifted up the wings and there was movement. And six tiny chicks scurried out from the outstretched wings. The hen could have saved herself, but she chose to die to protect her young. There's a great spiritual truth there. Here's Jesus saying, I wish you would come to me that I could protect you like a mother hen from eternal judgment because that's why Jesus died 
God's judgment against sin is given out. The safest place in the universe is in the shadow of the Almighty. And as Jesus is entering into this city, hearing all the empty praises, he is crying. For he knows the judgment is coming. Third, notice the evil plans of the parade. Verse 17. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. And for this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he performed the sign. So you have, again, the two different groups. But look at the next verse. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good? Look, the world has gone after him. We wanted to kill him. We haven't done it yet. Not done any good. Here is this picture of our Lord Jesus Christ entering into Jerusalem. The people are are saying, Hosanna. And here are the Pharisees saying, this man is too dangerous. And their complaint is, the whole world is going after him. They want to finish Jesus. They want to arrest Jesus. Later on, we're going to say they're going to pay Judas to betray Jesus. They are going to have Jesus arrested, tried, crucified, and they want to bury this rabbi. What they didn't realize, he wasn't going to stay buried long. Do you see the lesson? Whenever Jesus comes upon the scene, there will always be opposition. Whenever we make a stand for Jesus, the world is going to be against us. We, we see this happen again in Acts chapter 17 in Thessalonica. Because of the preaching, there was a riot in the street, and they took Paul, and they took Silas, and, and they dragged them before the trial. And they shouted, these men have turned the world upside down. Well, actually, sin turned the world upside down. They're trying to turn it right side up. But they were preaching Jesus, and the world attacks. You can talk about spirituality in the world, and no one cares. Oh, you can talk about God, and no one cares. But the moment you mention the name Jesus, the world will attack. And we see it all the way from the book of John today. And the world will oppose them. And yet the world can still accept him. Mary was a local drama student at a large university. The professor gave the class an assignment, kind of a strange assignment. He said, I want you to present something extreme to the class. That's all the assignment was. Well, this was an introduction to acting, and so Mary thought about it. And she was a Christian, so she decided to write a song about Jesus and perform it. She thought that would be extreme. Before her act, though, was Alice. Alice did her presentation. Alice took everyone outside, and she took them to outside, and she had a trash can, and she took a Bible, and she began to read portions of the Old Testament about war and punishment and violence, and she would read the pages, and she would tear out the pages and burn the Bible in front of the class. 
And she kept saying, why would anyone want to believe a God like this? Why would anyone want to believe a God like this? When she finished, it was Mary's turn. As she pulled out her guitar, said a brief prayer under her breath, and she performed the love song for Jesus. The class was silent. No one said anything. Teacher said, you're dismissed. Everyone went home except Alice. Alice came up to Mary, and she had tears in her eyes, and she said, that is the God I want to know. Can you tell me about this Jesus? And Alice gave her life to Christ. You see, the world still opposed Jesus, but the world can come to Jesus. We just have to proclaim him. In the book of Zechariah, it talked about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But also Zechariah tells about the second coming of Jesus. In chapter 12 and chapter 13, he talks about Jesus returning. He says this in chapter 12. Then I will pour out my spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the resident of Jerusalem. And they will look at me of, at whom they pierced. They were mourned for him as one mourned for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weep for a firstborn. And if someone asks him, what are these wounds in your hands? He will answer, these wounds I was given in the house of my friends. In the Old Testament, there's a prophecy of the Messiah returning with wounds on his hands. And when the people see it, they're going to weep because they're going to realize who he is. Over a century ago, two sportsmen were sailing along the coast of Scotland. They anchored their boat and went to explore the countryside. And by the end of the day, it got dark and they got lost, embarrassingly. So they went to this, this little place with this cottage and knocked on the door. And the farmer opened the door and they said, we're, we're lost. We apologize. Could, could we have a meal? Do you have a bed we can sleep in? We'll, we'll pay for it. And the farmer said no. He didn't like their looks. So they went to the next farm. Said the same thing. We're lost. We apologize. But do you have a meal? Is there a bag? We'll be happy to pay. And the farmer said, yes, come on in. He gave them a warm meal and gave them a room for the night. The next morning is when he discovered that one of the men was Edward, Prince of Wales, who would later become Edward, King Edward V. The first farmer found out he shut the door on the king because he didn't like the looks of him. I wonder how many people have shut the door on Jesus, the king of kings, because he wasn't their expectation, what they thought he should look like or what he should do. Jesus is king. Jesus is God. Will you recognize him tonight? Will you open the door of your heart to him? If you're watching online and you've never given your life to Christ, do you recognize him tonight that he is the king, that he is the Lord, that he is the one who died on the cross for our sins? If you would like to give your life tonight, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, and someone will give you a call to talk about your decision. If you're here tonight, if you've never given your life to Christ, will you make that decision? 
Say, I understand tonight that Jesus is king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He died on the cross so that I could have a a relationship with the heavenly father. Will you make that decision tonight? Would you stand and bow your heads? Our Father, open our eyes that we will see who Jesus is. Father, let us not be like the people lining the streets with shallow praise. Lining the streets because they really didn't know who Jesus was. They were curious about him. They thought he was going to be a military leader, but they didn't realize he was the king of kings. Let us see who he is. Father, if there's anyone tonight who's hearing my voice who have never accepted Christ, let tonight be the night when they were asked Christ into their life. By admitting they're a sinner, believing that Jesus died for them, third day or coming out of the grave, let them confess everything to come to you. Father, speak to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.